Thank you for the beautiful music. That's one of the most special things I think about Christmas for me is the music. I don't know about you. Our scripture this morning is taken from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Euphrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth of me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. We're blessed to have Brother Steve Wolberg with us today, and please come lay, uh, speak with what the Lord has laid on your heart. All right, good morning, everybody. Good to be here. Uh, good to see Josh and your wife here. Somewhere out there you are. I must admit, 73 degree weather sounds really good right now in Florida, but we're enjoying our time here in Idaho these days. Uh, I guess it's really, actually, we're, we're pretty much experiencing a heat wave for this time of year. I think the temperature's up to about 44 today, so that's pretty good for December 19. Very good. All right, well, I'm glad to be here. This is definitely going to be a uh, seasonally related message. If you look on the screen and look in your bulletin, it's called Better Than Santa. Better Than Santa. I don't think I've ever given a Santa Claus-related sermon in my life. So this is the first one. So... If you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to the book of Micah. We read the scripture reading from chapter 5. Uh, I'll be looking at verse, chapter 1 and verse 1 in a little bit. Again, it's good to be here. Good to have everybody here. Uh, we, we can be very thankful that in this time of the coronavirus pandemic that we actually have the privilege of coming to church. A lot of churches in this country don't have that privilege. Everything is online for them. Everything is by Zoom or uh, other, other, you know, YouTube. But we have the privilege of being here. So what a blessing. So let's, uh, let's have another prayer. I know we've had prayer, but I'd like to pray again and ask for God to bless us, be with you, be with me, and he'll help me and he'll speak through me to your heart and that being here will bring us uh, closer to heaven. So let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much that I can be here, that I'm alive, that we're all alive. Every day above ground is a, is a blessing, it's a privilege. In this world of sin and troubles and darkness and the battles of life, and we pray for your blessing, pray for the blessing of heaven, pray for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to speak through me and to touch my heart and touch all of our hearts and help us to understand Jesus better and to make the big choice, the most important choice we can make, and that's to give, to give Jesus our hearts. Please uh, be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I, I guess I should also welcome those that are watching online. We do have an online audience. It's just amazing, the technology these days. Just a couple days ago, um, and this is totally unrelated to my subject, but I, we, I interviewed James Rafferty. If you know James, he's in California now, and I was in uh, Priest River, and 
I interviewed on the, him on the computer through Zoom. We did a, um, a little discussion called The Mask of the Beast. It's on our YouTube channel right now, our White Horse Media YouTube channel. And it was amazing. It was about a 45-minute interview. It was very simple. Clicked a few buttons. We talked together and then uh, handed it over to Jeff Kyle, our, one of my associates. And he put it up on YouTube. And within just a very short time, people were responding from Italy, from Manila, uh, different parts of the world. So it's just amazing uh, the technology that God has made available these days for us to share his word. And I appreciate that very, very much, especially in this time of this pandemic. Anyway, as we know, today is uh, December 19, 2020. A week ago, uh, my family was here in church, and after church, we went uh, for lunch. And then after lunch, I took a walk about five minutes from here around the neighborhood, just uh, right here in Spirit Lake. And as I took a walk uh, with my dog and my wife's dad, I noticed as we turned a corner and went down one particular street that there was a big display, a big inflatable Santa right on the corner, on a corner house. And I just, you know, looked at that. And as I continued to walk down the street, on the other end of the street, on the other corner, instead of Santa, there was a nativity scene. And there were the animals, and the wise men, and Joseph and Mary uh, looking down at a baby in a manger. And I'm sure you're familiar with these. We all are. And it's, uh, it's really, I think, amazing to think about the fact that what I saw on that one little street right around the corner, uh, you can find that all over town. You can find that really in every neighborhood, in every town, in every city, all across America. There are nativity scenes and there are Santa and reindeer scenes. Isn't that right? Uh, Santa has become very, very popular in this world that we live in. Uh, there are movies that have been made about Santa, lots of Hollywood Hollywood movies, if you Google, there are Santa websites, Santa costumes, Santa decorations, Santa candy. You can uh, Google Santa parades, and there are parades around Santa. And this picture shows that many people don't realize this, many, many do, but Santa is actually gone global. There are uh, people that dress up like Santa in countries all over planet Earth. So Santa is uh, pretty big these days, especially this time of year. So I'd like to draw just some comparisons, some similarities, and some big, some big differences to just uh, you know, take a look at some parallels here, OK? Uh, first one is that both Santa and Jesus, they've got uh, one thing in common, and that is they live far away, far away. Santa, according to the story, and I'll get to that in a minute, uh, lives in the North Pole, where it is very cold and blizzardy and snowy, whereas Jesus lives in heaven, where everything is bright and glorious. 
uh, Santa is surrounded by his elves. All the little elves surround him and, and he, they help him to you know, make toys. Whereas Jesus is surrounded by holy angels. A vast army of angels. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousand, thousands of thousands. Both Santa and Jesus come to visit us, don't they? At least in the story, uh, Santa comes once a year, one night of the year on Christmas Eve, and he sort of, uh, you know, he, he sneaks in and he sneaks out, right? He doesn't really want people to see him. He just, you know, does what he does, and then he's gone with his, his reindeer, uh, Jesus didn't just come one day. He didn't just come for an entire year. He came, he visited the earth for 33 years. 33 years where he walked among humans and he revealed the love of God. The love of our Father. Uh, Santa lands on the rooftops with his reindeer and then he squeezes his body somehow into a chimney and goes down the chimney and then uh, he comes out. Jesus squeezed himself into a human body, squeezed himself into Mary, inside of Mary, he became a little tiny, tiny baby, and he landed in Bethlehem. And he became a human forever, which is something that is, I think we'll be learning about for a long, long time. Santa comes down the chimney, and then he gives presents, he gives gifts, he gives toys. Maybe a, a bike, or a Nerf gun, or a toy train. Jesus gave the greatest gift of all. He gave himself. He gave himself. He gave his life so that he could give us the greatest gift of all, which is the gift of eternal life. So we could live forever in a better world where there is no coronavirus where there are no people that are dying of COVID-19, where there is no more sin or suffering or sorrow or death. I tell you, it sounds to me like Jesus is much better than Santa. Uh, and I say this kind of tongue-in-cheek, that Santa probably needs to go uh, on, on a diet as well. Uh, Jesus has a perfect body. And if you struggle with your weight, there's good news that Jesus wants to give you a perfect body too. Someday. Someday. Uh, Santa also keeps records. He has a list. And he checks it twice. So he can find out who's naughty and who's nice. Well, Jesus also keeps records. The Bible's very clear on that. The book of Revelation describes 
a book. It's called the Book of Life, the Lamb's Book of Life. And in the Lamb's Book of Life is a record of the names of every boy, every girl, every man, every woman that's ever lived that has made the big choice, the biggest choice that can ever be made, and that is to choose to turn away from a life of sin and to give your heart to Jesus. So there are some similarities, uh, and there's a lot of differences, um, big, big differences. I think it's obvious that the biggest difference of all is that Santa in the North Pole doesn't exist, right? He's not there. He's just a figment of uh, imagination and stories, whereas Jesus Christ is very, very real. Very, very real. Now, how do we know that? How do we know Jesus is real? How do we know he's, just, he's not just like Santa Claus? And that, you know, Christians believe in Jesus just like people in the world believe in Santa. How do we know? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, one piece of evidence, and there's a lot of evidence, but just one piece of evidence. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Micah, and let's start with the first verse. So we can nail this down into some historical reality. Micah chapter 1, verse 1. Says the word of the Lord came to Micah, the Morasthite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Micah was a real person. He was a, a farmer. He lived during the days of real kings, kings who uh, ruled over Judah. Here is a, a map during Bible times, and you can see where Micah lived. You can see over on the map there, see on the left side, there's a town there called Moraseth. Morasheth. That is a, a real town, was a real town, about 20 miles southwest of Jerusalem. And you can see Jerusalem there on the map. Jerusalem is still there today. Go to the Middle East, you can go to Jerusalem. And the Bible says that the word of the Lord came to Micah during those days. And those who have studied history and studied Bible history and Micah's ministry have concluded that he ministered for approximately 40 years, from 738 B.C. to 698 B.C., approximately 700 years before Jesus was ever born. He wrote his book, which has seven chapters, Seven chapters in the little Old Testament book of Micah. By far the most famous verse in the book of Micah, the most famous thing that he ever wrote, which is known all over the world, is in Micah chapter 5. 
So let's turn to chapter 5 and look at verse 2. Micah 5, verse 2. And this verse talks about a town called Bethlehem. And if you look back on your map there, you can see uh, Bethlehem on the map. Bethlehem is a real place. It's about five miles south of Jerusalem. Uh, it is known all over the world. I had the privilege of visiting Bethlehem in 1983. I went to Israel one time. I went on a 10-day tour. A friend of mine uh, helped me to uh, be able to go there. And so I went to Bethlehem and I saw that that town. Today, it has approximately 25,000 people. I imagine back there in the days of Jesus, the population was a lot smaller. But that town is still there. It is a, a tourist center today for people to come visit all over the world. Now, Santa doesn't have a place on earth where he was born, where he actually you know, was visibly seen and where people go and visit the town of his birth from all over the world. There's just nothing, nothing like that in the, uh, in the Santa Claus narrative. Now, let's notice the verse. Micah 5.2, but you, but you, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the word means the house of bread. Ephrata, which means fruitful. Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are little. Back in those days, it was just a small little town. We don't know how many people lived there. Probably not, uh, probably not 25,000 like live there today. It was little among the thousands of Judah, the thousands of people, and the, probably the thousands of little towns. You know, and I like that word little. Uh, it impresses me that when God decided to come to earth, when Jesus decided to come down here, he didn't pick a big place. He picked a little place. Because that's, that's part of his character, you know, is humility. So he picked a small little spot among the thousands of Judah. And, and yet, it says, out of you, out of that little town, shall he come forth to me, who is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old. And then what does it say? From everlasting. Now, some Bibles in the margin say, from the days of eternity. In other words, according to this verse, the one who was born in Bethlehem was an, was an everlasting, eternal being. Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem. He was simply born as a human in Bethlehem. But Jesus has existed for a long, long, long time. In fact, uh, I believe there was not a time when Jesus didn't exist. He is an eternal being. And he came down. He squeezed into a body. And he was born as a little, 
as a little baby, a little tiny baby, in the town of Bethlehem. Now, now this is very important. Sometimes it just sort of crosses over, you know, goes over our heads, that we need to realize that this prediction was given by a prophet 700 years before it happened. Now, imagine I were to make a prediction that something's going to happen uh, in, you know, 2700 A.D., you know, we're at 2,000, so you go down, you know, another 700 years. I mean, we're trying to get to 2,021 and 22. Can you imagine 700 years making a prediction? Well, that's what's happening in the Bible. This was predicted because the word of the Lord came to a farmer who lived in that little town about 20 miles southwest of Jerusalem and made a prediction that the etern an eternal being was going to be born 700 years later. I mean, let that register. You know, I think that's pretty significant. Pretty significant. Now, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, we read in verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in other words, the clock struck, it was time for prophecy to be fulfilled. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Herod was a real king appointed by the Roman authorities to rule over Judea. And it says, behold, there came, my Bible says, wise men. Some Bibles say magi. If you look at the Greek word for magi, it can be translated a couple different ways. But one of those ways is wise men. Wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he? that is born the king of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. These were wise men. As I look at the world, and as I read my Bible, and even look at the church, you know, Jesus, in Matthew 25, says that uh, the church, and the book of Proverbs applies this also to the whole world, is divided ultimately between two groups. There's the wise and there are the foolish. And ultimately, all of us are going to be in one group or another. We're among the wise or the foolish. The wise are those who surrender their lives to God and, make, and allow God to be the center of their lives. Whereas the foolish are those who their focus is entirely this world. It's just this world. And sadly, if we just focused on this world, this world is all we're ever going to get. But Jesus wants to give us something much more than this world. He wants, us to, he wants to give us eternal life. So verse 3 says, Herod the king heard about these things. He was troubled 
and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, those were the Jewish scribes and priests, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they knew. They knew the answer. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. So 700 years later, they knew where Jesus was going to be born because it was written in the book of the prophet. You see that? The prophet of God had said this, that this was going to happen. And it did happen. It happened exactly as the prophecy said. In verse 11, it says, uh, after different things happened, that finally they came to the house, the wise men, and they saw the young child with his mother, his mother Mary, and then it says they fell down and they, what did they do? They worshipped him. And when they had opened their gifts, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So here are these wise men, and I, as I look at this verse, there's a lot, of, a lot of power in that text. When these men, it says that they, they saw, and, and they saw him with their eyes, with their own eyes. They had followed the star, they had stepped out in faith, they learned about the prophecy, but then finally when they got, they got there, they actually looked, and with their own eyes, they saw the child. And when they saw him, they realized that this child is more than just a human. The Holy Spirit helped them to discern that underneath the skin of a human body was an eternal being, was God himself who is now a human. And, they, and then it says that they worshipped him. Now that's significant. The fact that they worshipped him and that, that God didn't correct that or say they shouldn't have done that. You know, the Bible says we should worship God. Right? Jesus told the devil, he said, uh, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And here's the wise men worshiping this child, which tells, tells us that they recognized that this was God in human form, who was worthy of worship. Wow. And they didn't come wanting toys and gifts. They came with their gifts. Because they realized, you know, if, if God would take the time to become a human and to come down here into this dark world to save us. The other day I was just thinking, uh, I, I just thought, Lord, you came for us. You didn't just leave us down here in the midst of sin. You came for us. And when you really realize that, then you want to give to him. And they gave him very valuable treasures. Gold, the most valuable metal on this planet, is gold. 
and frankincense and myrrh. But more than that, they gave him their hearts. They gave Jesus their hearts. Now, think about this. When Jesus came the first time, he came quietly. He came in a humble way. He was born in a little town of Bethlehem. And then he grew up, he lived, he loved, he suffered, he agonized. I just got done reading the chapter in the book Desire of Ages about Gethsemane. Very touching. I've read that book six times. Something like that. And uh, I'm getting more out of it this time than I think I've ever gotten. And I don't know, maybe it's because I've just been praying a lot for the Holy Spirit. I just keep praying, Lord, give me the Holy Spirit in my life. Help me to understand these mysteries. And uh, seeing Jesus suffer in the Garden of Gethsemane and be willing to make that fateful choice. It says he made the choice. At last his decision was made. He would save man. <clears throat> he would save man at any cost to himself. Any cost to himself. He was willing because he wants us so bad. He wants us to be with him so bad. He suffered, he died on a cruel cross in front of a lot of witnesses. He was taken off the cross, he was buried, placed in a tomb in front of lots of witnesses, Roman soldiers out in front of the the tomb, and then on Sunday morning, the angel came down, rolled away the stone. The, the Roman soldiers saw that angel with their eyes, and they fell down like dead people. And Jesus came out of the tomb, hallelujah, never to die again. And then he went to heaven, and we haven't seen him for 2,000 years. This world has not seen him walking around. But you know, it's significant when you look at the big picture that today, 2,000 years later, the religion of Jesus Christ is the largest religion on planet Earth. There's over 2 billion people that to some extent believe in Jesus. Islam is the second largest religion, but Christianity is number one. Number one on planet Earth. To me, that's very significant. Now, turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. I'm going to finish. Uh, got a little more to say today, but we're going to finish in Revelation chapter 1. Or actually, we've got one more text in chapter 22. But turn to Revelation chapter 1. You know, just like Bethlehem was a real town, Jerusalem is a real place. What was that? Go back to the picture. You want to take a picture of that? All right, I'm going to do it for you. Okay. All right, Gwen. You got the picture already? Well, hurry. We're, we're, we're live. <laughs> you got it. Okay. All right, Patmos. My sister, Kathy, went to the island of Patmos. She was there. The island of Patmos is a real 
island today. It's not like the North Pole, you know, or some fictitious Santa Claus uh, narrative. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, uh, John wrote this. He says, I, John, who also am your brother and your companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and in the patience of Jesus Christ, I was in the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Patmos has a population of approximately 3,000 people today. John was the last living disciple of Jesus. He was banished to that island because the Roman emperor tried to kill him for his faith, but couldn't kill him. A tradition tells us that he was thrown into a bucket of boiling oil, and he went down and popped up. And just like the three men in the burning fiery furnace, he didn't die. So they didn't know what to do with him. So they finally banished him to a prison island called Patmos. And that island is there today. And when John was on that island, he tells in Revelation 1 that uh, he was in the spirit he was praying, and he heard a voice behind him. And when he heard this voice, he turned around, and who did he see? In a vision, he saw Jesus. Historians tell us this was somewhere around approximately 96 AD. And Jesus is described in verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. And I'm not going to read all of it, but at the end of verse 16, and now this is not a baby in Bethlehem. This is not a, um, a child. This is Jesus who has, who has grown up, and now he's in heaven, and he's taken his rightful place on the throne. This eternal being is now uh, ruling with his angels in heaven, and that rule will someday come here. And at the end of verse 16, it says his countenance, or his, his uh, face, was as the sun shining in its strength. Can you imagine? Jesus was so bright. As John looked at him, that he could hardly look at him. And you can't, you know, it's hard to look at the sun. And Jesus' face was just like, like the sun, shining. And in verse 17, John says, When I saw him, just like the wise men, they saw the young child. And now here's John, and he sees with his own eyes. He sees Jesus in his glorified state, and when, when I saw him, he says, I fell at his feet as dead. He was just overwhelmed with the sight. And then Jesus laid his right hand, John says, he laid his right hand upon me, and he said to me, fear not, I am the first and the last. Don't be afraid. I am he that lives 
Santa's not really alive. Jesus said, I am he that lives. I was dead. We know he died on the cross for our sins. And then he says, and behold, behold, I am alive for how long? I am alive forever. I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell or the grave and death. So Jesus came down in a vision, showed himself to John and said, I'm, I'm eternal. I'm forever. I'm alive for endless ages. And he said, I've got the keys, the keys of the grave and the keys of death. In other words, because Jesus died and rose from the dead, when our time comes, if Jesus doesn't come soon or first, if your time comes or if my time comes and we die, which is happening to people you know, every day, right? People are dying, whether it's COVID or heart disease or cancer or old age or accidents. You know, people are dying all the time. And if Jesus doesn't come first, you know, we're going to die too. But Jesus says that, he says, guess what? If you die and go down to the grave, Jesus says, I've got the keys. I've got the keys. I can unlock the grave and I can bring you back. Now, I tell you, Santa Claus can't do that. Right? He doesn't have the keys of, of death and the grave. Only Jesus Christ does. Hallelujah. Jesus has the keys. And he is going to, he's going to open up those graves. Two more verses. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Just go back a little bit. Look at verse 7. 1 verse 7. Everybody got it? It says, behold, he is coming. How is he coming? He's coming with clouds. Behold, he is coming. Did he come once? Did he fulfill biblical prophecy? Was he born in Bethlehem? Now, it did take a long time. I mean, Micah made that prediction, and we, they had to wait 700 years so it, it didn't happen overnight, but eventually Jesus was born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of Bible prophecy. It did happen. And this verse tells us that he is coming. He is coming. Uh, the, the popular song says, Santa Claus is coming to town. Have you heard that? Better not pout, better not cry. Etc. Etc. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. Is he really coming to town? No. He's not coming to town. Who's really coming? It's Jesus. That's right. He is, he is coming with the clouds with the clouds of glory, and he's not coming as a little baby. And notice what else it says. 
He is coming with the clouds, and the Bible says, every eye shall see him. The wise men, their eyes saw the, the child in Bethlehem. John saw Jesus in 96 AD when he sat on the, when he was on the island of Patmos. And this verse says that every single human eye will someday see Jesus Christ. Every eye shall see him. That's what's in your future. You know, in, in this world, we think, well, what's in my future? Where am I going to go to school? Who am I going to marry? Am I going to have children? What kind of job am I going to get? Where will I live? Will I have a house? Hopefully, I'll have a family. You know, we, we, we think about our future in this world. How long will I live? How long will I make it down here? The Bible tells us that there's something else in your future and in my future. And there's no avoiding it. There's no escaping it. It's for every single human being. Every eye shall see him. I tell you, that's amazing. One of these days, we're going to look up and we're going to see the, this eternal being in human form, he's going to come down. And his face is going to shine like the sun. He's going to be so bright and so glorious and so amazing that the majority of people in this world, when they see him and realize who it is, that it's really Jesus, I'm sorry to say that for the majority, it's not going to be a good day. And that's sad because... Jesus doesn't want it to be that way for them. And notice it says, every eye shall see him and they also which pierced him, those that rejected him and pressured Pilate to put him to death. They're going to see that same one coming again. And then it says, all the kindreds or tribes or nations of the earth shall wail. Uh, in, in the margin of my Bible, it says they will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And they're going to mourn because they didn't make the right choice. They probably knew about him. They heard about him. They've heard the story. They've heard the account, they've heard what the Bible says. Maybe they've heard it many, many times. But they just chose, this is not what I want in my life. I don't want Jesus to be at the center of my life, which is tragic. It's tragic because Jesus only wants what's best for people. He loves people. He squeezed into a body. He came here to visit us. He came here because he loves us and he wants us to be with him forever. 
forever and ever and ever. But it's sad that the majority are going to mourn and wail because of him. And then it says, even so, amen. It will be what it will be. Last text is Revelation chapter 22, verse 7. 22, 7 is the last chapter of the Bible. And it says, behold, again, just like behold, he is coming with the clouds. It says, behold, and in my Bible, this is in red. These four words are in red because these are Jesus' own words. He says, behold, I am coming, or I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Micah was a real person. He lived in a real town. You can find it on a map. He made a prediction that Jesus would be born 700 years later in a real place called Bethlehem. You can go there today. John was on a real island called Patmos. And he saw Jesus come to him and give him the book of Revelation. And Jesus told him, I'm coming. I'm going to come back. Now, I know it seems like it's been a long time and we, you know, we're still waiting. We're still waiting. But just like they waited 700 years and then it happened, one of these days, it's going to happen. And whether we live a short life or a long life, whether it happens tomorrow or in a year or three years or five years or 10 years, ultimately, we're all going to see him with our eyes. That's what our future, that's in our future. It's for us all. And the Bible says, blessed, blessed is that person who holds on to the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Blessed is the person who believes it, who trusts Jesus Christ, who trusts the word of God, who holds on and who keeps. You know, don't let the devil pull you away from keeping what's in the book. Here's a picture of Santa, somebody in a Santa Santa outfit, kneeling, holding a Bible. The fact is that every human being anywhere in the world who happens to you know, put on Santa Claus clothes and portray Santa Claus uh, this time of year anywhere on the planet, everybody needs to become wise and kneel down before the king of kings. And when Jesus came the first time, he came in a quiet way, in a humble way, in a little town. And I thought, and how do we get ready for him when he comes again in a big way? When he comes in the clouds with glory and power, how do we get ready for that? And the answer is by learning 
to belittle, to humble ourselves, to confess our sins, to be willing by the grace of God to overcome the pride of the human heart, heart which we all struggle with this, me included. You know, we're all in a battle with pride and self. And from, you know, it, it, the heart says it's humiliating to believe in this book, to humble ourselves, to confess our sins and say, Jesus, you are my Lord. I cannot live without you. I can't get out of the grave without you. But if we're willing to be quiet and humble and little, and to honor him. If we're willing to humble ourselves and kneel at the foot of the cross, we will become wise. We'll be among the wise men, the wise boys, the wise girls, the wise adults who have made the wisest decision that we can ever make to choose to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Here's my last slide. Jesus is calling us in this world of sin and the pandemic and all the crises of this world. The Lord Jesus is calling. He's calling me. He's calling you. He's calling all, all of us. And I just, uh, I pray that God would bless this sermon. Pray that, I pray that he would you know, use me to touch you and to help you to realize that we are not following cunningly devised fables. This is not just, a, it's not just like Santa Claus. Jesus is real. This is real. This is true. And Jesus wants what's best for you and for me more than we'll ever know. He's the greatest gift that we can ever have. And he wants to give it to you today. And the greatest gift that you can give him is your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus is better than Santa. Jesus is real. And Lord, help us to make the big choice and give you our, our hearts, give you our lives. It's what's best for us. You have such a plan for us that's beyond anything that we can even imagine in this world. We don't even know what it's like to be everlasting, to live in eternity. But you do, and you came down to this dark world. You visited us to save us and help us and give us the gift of eternal life. Lord, please, may we all make that choice. And thank you, Jesus, for the greatest gift that can ever be given. And Lord, we give you our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. We stand for the closing song, 448, or When Shall I See Jesus, 448.
Dear Father in heaven, may that morning come soon when we hear the trumpet sound and we see Jesus in the clouds. Lord, bless us all. Bless this church. Bless those that we're watching online and those who will watch this recording. Lord, may we all be together when Jesus comes and may we enjoy your love and your goodness that we do not deserve forever and ever and ever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message by Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting messages just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, go to whitehorsemedia.com or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehorse7 or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve Wolberg. That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support, and may God richly bless your day.